Geneva Williams, and welcome to the show, Dr. Geneva Speaks, where we inspire great leaders for greater purpose. Today's guest is Carol Sankar, leadership consultant and business advisor for high-level executives and entrepreneurs all over the world, and the visionary behind the movement of claiming your confidence factor to achieve next up leadership. Carol is a leadership expert committed to assisting passionate, high-achieving leaders to simplify their lives, becoming more productive and working smarter. Carol has been featured in Madame Noir, LearnVest, The Steve Harvey TV Show, CNNMoney.com, The Talk Ted Shows, Entrepreneur Magazine, and Essence Magazine. The founder of the Confidence Factor for Women in Leadership global executive firm, Carol is an international best-selling author of five books. The latest, hot off the press, The Confidence Factor for Women, Conversation with Women CEOs, includes personal and professional stories from leaders including Carol's own barrier-busting journey to success. Carol's extensive research and insight into the mindset obstacles that affect women from achieving elevated levels in leadership, accessing capital to grow their business, and mastering the art of powerful negotiations. Welcome, Carol. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's such a delight to have you, and I'm just so uh, excited uh, to talk with you, and I want to learn all about the confidence factor. Uh, But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Carol Sankar? I love that question because I don't know how to answer (laughs) it. I'm just a a girl from Trinidad and Tobago who dreamed big, and um, I literally uh, started with this whole dream of becoming an attorney, and I gave up on that very quickly after I discovered it wasn't my passion, and I went on to business consulting, and today I'm a mother, a wife, relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm very passionate about seeing women that are high-level performance uh, leaders really accelerate themselves into greatness. And so that's, I guess, who I am. And, and Carol, what what got you to this point? Uh, was there something in your background or your upbringing, something that happened as, as a child or in your childhood or some person that influenced you or some event that happened that caused you to want to really help women become great leaders? Uh, I would say it, a lot of it was gender loneliness, if that makes sense. Uh, for I've been a real estate uh, investor and developer for a little while, a, a little bit over six years or so. And it's very interesting that I uh, serve on a lot of boards, I negotiate a lot of properties, I buy a lot of stuff, as a matter of fact, as I speak to you now, I have a whole bunch of papers on my desk of properties i got to go take a look at between today and Monday. And uh-huh. I negotiate this stuff every day, and there are no women in the room. So there's never any woman that is at the auction. There's never any women who negotiates the properties with me. 
um, very far and few in between. You may see a real estate investor here or there, maybe a real estate attorney um, that's a woman. And I started to feel the pushback of being lonely. In addition to that, I also felt the pushback of being in rooms where I felt like I didn't belong. So I would try to mm-hmm. lower my standards a little bit and try to go and be where everybody else was, and I would get frustrated by the conversation because it didn't mirror where I was going. And so I said that there's a problem. It's either, A, women are not part of the process, and they got to figure out what that is, or, B, the places that women are collaborating and they are um, congregating, there has to be more value there for them to be able to accelerate. So that's why I put the confidence together to put a bridge in the gap between the women who are accelerating but may feel lonely where they are and the women who are congregating Mm -hmm. in the collective but don't know that other women are on the other side waiting for them to be able to embrace a higher level of change. Mm -hmm. Now, I I heard you mention uh, real estate, and I think I heard you say something about the law and various Mm -hmm. different uh, careers, it seems. Tell us about your work history. Now, how did you start out? I got started as a frustrated law student. Um, I consider myself a a law dropout, and um, after I left law school, I wanted to find a way. It was never my passion to be an attorney. It was always my passion to do something, but I just knew it wasn't law, but I tried my hand at it. It just wasn't for me. So I decided to go into a legal consultancy, and I started this legal consultancy in my house in New York City. And um, we did very well, but it wasn't my passion. I did it, I'm going to not lie, I did it for the money. And... (laughs) I realized when you when you're making money but you're not passionate, that bridge between those two is a hard bridge to cross. Because I wasn't passionate about what I was doing, I was just doing it to pay bills. And um, I sold that practice and went into real estate investing. Literally came okay. down here to Charlotte on vacation. That's what I did. I came here to help a friend move, and I fell in love with the place. And I knew that it was my divine assignment to stay here. Uh, I went back to New York, packed up everything I could in a box, and left. And I came back down here mm-hmm. and I said, we're going to do this real estate thing. This is what I want to do. I want to be able to flip properties and have more of a flexible lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. However, I think I overthought it because real estate is not as flexible as people believe. There there are a lot of times when things just have to, have to happen. But I just wanted a lifestyle where I didn't have to work Hard, I wanted to work smart, and real estate has given me that ability. And then the business consultancy came from there, just developing strategies to be able to accelerate those entrepreneurs who are ready to go to a higher level in their businesses and charge more premium prices. And that's where those two came together, and that's where I am now. Mm-hmm. And so as you're carrying out your passion, who are some of the clients you work with, some of the entrepreneurs, some of the companies you've worked with? I've worked with everyone from uh, universities, from the UNCC um, University here, uh, Reliance O'Barrett Community College. I've worked with SHRM, uh, the um, Society for Human Resource Management. I've worked mm-hmm. with uh, Johnson C. Smith University. I've worked with, um, that's a good question. <laughs> I've worked with the Affiliate Summit. I've worked with a, a lot of big uh high-level brand universities, universities that are trying to build up their business programs. So 
I sit on the boards of many universities that um, are building up their continuing education departments. I sometimes mm-hmm. have guest teachers at their, their universities. I just, as a matter of fact, last Thursday, I taught a, a class on um, leadership development at Rowan Cabarrus Community College. And then I also work with, you know, at the average entrepreneur, but I'm, I'm more in a phase where I'm trying to work with entrepreneurs who know what they want. They're entrepreneurs who mm-hmm. they want to be entrepreneurs and they, they see the vision and the capability. But I, I work with those who know what they want. They're passionate. They know what they want. They're willing to do the work. I work with committed, high-level men and women, and right now with the, the confidence factor, really structuring women to be able to elevate to the same standards as men. Um, and also I work with a lot of uh, real estate entrepreneurs, Keller Williams, um, Alan Tate. I've worked with all of them in order for them to accelerate their leadership departments as well in sales. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the confidence factor and and mm-hmm. how you first first let us know how you how you got into this and what what came to you that uh, led you down to this path of looking at confidence. Um, like I said earlier, it really was the gender loneliness. And then the next thing that started to happen was I felt uh, like I wasn't part of the conversations that were happening right. with women who were, you know, I, I, want, I was having conversations with women who they want to do this, they want to do that, they have so much passion and they weren't making money. And so I started surveying these women, and it took four years to put these books together. It wasn't like to say it was an overnight thing. I studied 100 women for four full years. Initially, it was supposed to be two. Uh, I started the study in 2010, and I was supposed to be done by December 2012, and I, I thought that, you know, women just needed access to the money. I thought women needed access to the network. I thought women needed access to resources. That's what I thought they needed. I brought all of that to the table for the two years in this study, and women still didn't take action. So we went back to the drawing board to figure out what did I do wrong. And then within the two years that we stayed afterward with the same 100 women, we realized that nothing we were bringing them, they were actually implementing. It was literally a crippling fear that they had about success. It was not knowing what to ask for, not knowing how much to ask for, the the fear of starting a conversation, the fear of getting out of rooms where they already know people and getting into rooms that were not in familiar territory. Um, The fear of networking was a huge one for me, watching women who would not leave their own zip code to network. That was a huge one. Um, And so I realized that every woman that is struggling in her business, in her career, in her profession, is one confident decision away from abundance. That's all it is. So many of these women would not make the one decision they needed to make in order for them to catapult their success. And so it started as let's bring in the resources to, uh uh-oh, they need confidence because we brought them every resource they asked for. And so now we have to figure out how to get them out of their own way, that whole thing, get out of your own way, how to get you out of your own way so you can take more decisive and intentional action to get where you want to go. And that's how Mm -hmm. it burns it, literally. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Carol Sankar, leadership consultant and business advisors for high-level executives, and we're having a conversation about 
the confidence factor. So, so Carol, if you could sum up uh, in, in, in just what is the essence, what is the confidence factor, and, and how, how do women use it or not use it? The confidence factor is literally a mindset. It is that thing that we allow to hold us back. Because the thing is, like I said, all women are one confident decision away from abundance. It is that mindset that is holding us back. So the thing that we need to do is we need to stop, and there's a lot of different levels, and I'll share a few. We need to stop comparing ourselves. We need to stop underestimating ourselves. We need to stop going into familiar territory expecting any results. We need to stop literally operating our businesses from a place of lack. We need to stop giving back when we don't have enough to even give to our own families. We have to be able to understand where money plays a huge role in that. And we have to be able to understand that we have value because where I think this movement that I'm working on is a lot different than Lean In is that Sheryl Sandberg talks about leaning in at the table. I'm talking to women who, after they've leaned in, they silent at the table. Because the thing is, you can make the gesture to lean in. But if you're not adding value and if you're not asking the question, if you're underestimating yourself still, you can lean in all you want, but you're not speaking up, so you're not heard and you're not counted. So the confidence factor is about women that need to be counted, women that need to stop asking for permission to be successful and be unapologetic about what they want and their desires for asking for something more. So adding value is a really important component of the confidence factor. And in your in your new book, and I understand it's uh, hot off the press, uh, the uh, confidence factor for women, conversations with women CEOs. What are what are these women? Uh, can can you give us a glimpse into some of the conversations and the things that uh, female CEOs are saying about the confidence factor? Yeah, that was really interesting, right? So I spent um, about eighteen months interviewing women CEOs at different levels of of their um, businesses. Many of the the women who are in the book are well over $5 million in annual sales, and they have staff upwards of 300. One woman has 300. I think it was another one that had like 1,000 members of her staff, just different levels. I have women in there who were featured on Shark Tank that one didn't get the deal and ended up making a million bucks right after the show. One of them got Mm -hmm. the deal and went up to $45 million after the show. So they're women from different walks of life, and the one thing all of them kind of have in common, and I'm saying kind of because everybody has their own way of saying it, is that they had to learn to play the man's game. That's all they had to learn. They had to Mm. learn how to get in the man's circle, in the men's circle, listen to them, find out what they do that's different than what we do, and stop the passive aggressiveness and start feminizing the way that men act. In in other words, just change the way they came to the table. So every one mm-hmm. of them presents their stories from a different angle. Like we have um, Eileen McDonald. She's the CEO of Ten Life um, Mutual, which is one of the biggest life insurance companies on the East Coast. She talks about, you know, having to lose her father uh, in the midst of having a job in um, as a, a life insurance consultant. 
and she knew she wanted to go for the CEO role, but she just didn't know how. And then when her father passed away, she took time off of bereavement, and she knew that that was her moment, that she had to use that time to kind of recalibrate, get in the right room, get the right people on the phone. So when she got back to work, mm-hmm. she was going for mm-hmm. the highest level seat. And when it became available, she took a risk and because she mm-hmm. took that time to learn how men think. So I think every woman that helped along this journey to contribute to the, the conversations book show you that it is time for women to stop worrying about I don't want to compete with men. We have to learn from men how they compete with each other, which is make it a lot different for us to be able to get into global markets so that we can compete on a higher level. And that's all mm-hmm. of them shared with me. And I was so thankful for that because many of them are so transparent in this book. If nothing else I've done for the last two years has changed my life, it was these conversations. They're very intimate, very um, very substance-oriented. Like, they, they shifted my perspective on what leaders really have to do. They bleed like us. They cry like us. Many of them share stories of loss, divorce, um, their own fears, shyness, uh, insecurities, but they still made it no matter what. What what was the biggest, you know, you, you interviewed all these phenomenal uh, mm-hmm. women leaders and um, they they told you about uh, in different ways uh, the, the importance of learning how to play the game, particularly a man's game. Um, mm-hmm. Were there any other takeaways that you learned uh, from... Uh, this conversation about confidence, particularly as it relates to leadership and the effect of confidence on leadership? I think in the book there's one woman who, and I'm not saying that's the best story, all of them are great, but there's one woman who when you read her story you start to swallow and to start to go and you're like, how does she do it? Her name is Lori Cheek and she was featured on Shark Tank. And I remember the reason I contacted her was because I watched the episode. I found a way to find her. And um, mm-hmm. and when she accepted my, my request for the interview, I remember watching her episode and that thing replayed over and over in my mind. All of the sharks on the show told her, she's stupid, the idea is stupid, go back to your regular job, drop this dream, it's dumb. And mm-hmm. just, I mean, whole sabotaging words, just like crushing. So it's different when you're being sabotaged in a closed boardroom. Imagine millions of people are watching you on television mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yes. somebody, one person saying, go back to work. Another person saying, that's a dumb idea. I'm out. I'm this and that. And she said when Kevin O'Leary, which is Mr. Wonderful, the last guy, told her, you're dead to me. Your idea is dumb. She said when she was walking down the hall, she tried not to let it get to her, but she knew that something that she was like, I'm not going to give up on my dream. She said by the time she got home from the taping the next day when she flew back into New York, she had already gotten 50 offers. So she didn't even see her email, but the show when it was airing, she said the pre-taping of the show had went out to investors long before that. She had already gotten 50 offers. One of the things that I would say that literally from that, from her story and our conversation that changed my mindset was that rejection is not about you. It is always about timing. It is not about you. 
For me, okay. I learned that you have to get in a place where, so what? They rejected you. So five people turned her down, but 50 said, I'm willing to invest. Five people said mm-hmm. no. 50 said yes. That's a 10 multiple. So that means that your dreams have a 10x rating on them. You just have to find the right people who see your vision and don't stop at a no. And I think that that was one of those conversations that if nothing else this book left me with was that your dreams have value. You just have to find the people who see your value instead of settling for those who don't get it. So if somebody doesn't get it, keep moving. Somebody else doesn't get it, keep moving. Keep moving and ask for guidance along the way because maybe maybe there's some validation there, but you have to ask for people who have already done it and ask for them to help you along the way, but keep moving. And when she said that, she was like, when I got home, 50 people had already said I'm willing Mm -hmm. to invest, and they invested Mm -hmm. in it. And that's how she made her vision go from, uh, you know, you're not worth it to yes. And that's why I think that women have to be careful how they perceive rejection. Absolutely. So learn how to play the game. Um, Understand that um, uh, rejection isn't about you personally. It really has more to do with timing and always have the confidence in your dream. What other Mm -hmm. tips? Um, You know, so if, if someone is listening and say, oh, I've got that, I can do that, are there other things that, um, I should be doing, uh, learning how to build this confidence. What else? I say use fear as a GPS. Um, use fear as a GPS because you need to know that the thing that you're most fear- fearful of doing is the thing you're supposed to be doing. So just use that as your GPS. If nothing else, just continue to tremble but walk into that room and ask for the opportunity anyway. Um, not only did these women share that with me, but I've had to learn that over the years, that the things that I'm most fearful of are the things I'm supposed to be doing. The things that I, I keep uh-huh. saying, I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm worthy, I'm not sure, you know, I'm too short, I'm too this. Those are the things I'm supposed to be doing. So you have to use fear as your main GPS. If you want success, fear is the best indicator that that's the thing you're supposed to be doing and you do it with tremble in your voice and your hands shaking and the sweat on the side of your brow mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. because that shows that there's mm-hmm. authenticity in you taking risks. And so for many of us as women, because we don't take risks, we are risk-averse because we like everything planned out. We like to make the phone mm-hmm. call, get the yeah. gas. We like everything planned out, you know, the outfit, the blue with the black shoes. And we, sometimes you have to get up and there's no black shoes in the closet. you got red. Put it on. And just go. Mm-hmm. Go with that GPS red. Okay. Go with that red. It, it doesn't may not look good to you, but someone else will pay attention to it. And because of the fact that we're so risk-averse, many of us forget, go in there trembling anyway. That doesn't matter. The thing is you took the risk, and the people who are paying attention to the fact that you took the risk will help you answer the question that you just are shivering and you're shaking and you're stuttering. They will help you to get the answer because you at least took the risk and showed up. That's the difference between women who make it and women who don't, is the woman who took the risk and went and asked the question that she thought was silly, and even though she's shaking and sweating, she gets the opportunity. The woman who doesn't show up at all risks nothing, gets nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us about one of your risk-taking ventures, when you took a risk. 
I'd say the biggest risk I took um, was really taking a risk to leave New York. I, I'm I'm raised in New York. My family's still there. And when I say that was a risk, I mean, I heard everybody say from the mountaintop to the valley, like, why would you leave? The best city on earth. It's this, it's that. And I said, because if I don't take a risk now, I'm never going to be able to make it. And as soon as I got here, it didn't even take me a year to make my investment back 20-fold. I got my first deal in the first two weeks of me being here. Before the boxes were unpacked, I was making money, um, as opposed to being in New York and the hustle and bustle. And I love New York. Don't get me wrong. That's my home. But I had to take a risk in order for me to see what my life could be if I changed what I, keep, what I kept thinking was supposed to be my life. And that risk that I made in that two weeks, I got, I remember the first deal I closed was 18000 and some change. I closed that deal literally in a matter of days because I took a risk. doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it was a lot of money for someone who, in New York City, I was never able to close deals that fast. I'd have to sell and oversell and resell. When I got here and I saw the opportunity and I took that moving truck with my, you know, Family in hand, little baby. My son was like a teeny little baby at the time. My husband is in New York until the day he dies. I took the risk, and I said, if nothing else, before I died, I risked it all. Because I always say that the biggest risk that was given to me was if my grandparents didn't come to this country, that was the first risk. When they decided to emigrate to this country and leave their home, then the second risk was my mother leaving her country and coming and making the United States home then I don't think I have the right to say I'm going to be complacent and stay where I have to be. So I decided to take that risk and it paid off. Carol, you know, you've talked to uh, many, many uh, women who uh, are leaders and are successful. You've counseled uh, business executives um, all around the country. What are they Mm -hmm. telling you is the biggest challenge facing them as leaders today? I think the biggest thing I've heard overall is the level of women not showing up, and that that's probably the biggest challenge of facing many leaders. Women leaders are not seeing other women showing up at a big rate. For example, I spoke at an, an event this weekend in North Carolina, a three-day event um, that's dedicated to women in tech. And the statistics said this morning that only 32% of the entire event were women. Out of that 32%, only 10% of them were the ones who decided to, it's a pitch event. They had to pitch for a city grant. Only 10% of the women out of that 32 decided to pitch. Um, So the main thing that a lot of the women that I work with are having a problem finding other women to show up. And we we are all we've all expressed the same thing. If women would just realize the power of them uh, not underestimating their abilities and literally show up, there will be so much more we can do to increase the level of women in leadership and kind of close this gap between the secretary and the president. There's a huge gap between them because I also say there's not only a confidence gap, there is a success gap. And if we can close how women think and perceive themselves and their values. The secretary realized she's just as valuable to the CEO as the CEO is to her. And once you recognize that there's an equilibrium there for everybody's role within leadership, we can really close this gap and really help create a generation of women who realize that they're leaders from the day that they're born, not necessarily Mm -hmm. leaders from the day that they're taught 
We have to stop teaching women that they're leaders. We have to really recognize that leaders are born, not taught to be mm-hmm. actual leaders. And and so, you know, Carol, what you're saying make, makes a lot of sense in, in terms of uh, recognizing the power that's within us as uh, women, as potential leaders. Mm-hmm. How do you... How do you do it? I mean, so, you know, you talked about a secretary recognizing mm-hmm. that she has, you know, the power and the value. How how do you do that? How do you make that happen? You know, that's a good question. You have to you have to break down the the fear in the communication and the way we communicate with each other. So the reason okay. why the secretary Real thinks that she's less than the woman who may be the CEO is because she doesn't talk to the CEO. Here's the thing that mm-hmm. we also have, have studied a lot of. Women just don't talk to people they don't know. I hate to say this, but do you remember that old saying your parents used to say, don't talk to strangers? We've grown up mm-hmm. now as grown women, and we don't talk to strangers. So mm-hmm. you sit at okay. a job, and you recognize that the greatest opportunity may be from your desk to that office door, and you're not going to knock on it because you think she's too busy. When you don't realize that she really wants your attention, but she doesn't know how to talk to you either. There's a lack of communication between the two. How to close that gap literally starts, and I hate to say it like this, but it starts when the secretary asks the CEO. The CEO is always trying to find ways to support the secretary, but her, her or his way may not seem like it's support, but that's what they're trying to do. Um, as much, But a lot of the CEOs are having a hard time making it seem like it's support because much of what their efforts are going by is by people feeling like, well, you're just doing that to pacify me, when essentially they don't know how to introduce themselves to you. If you want to get to a certain level, you've got to knock on the door of the person who has the, who is at the level you want to be at. One of the main reasons I put this book together for, from CEOs and leaders, from me to them, is because I said that women who don't have conversations with real leaders need to learn how to get in contact with real leaders. I took a shot. I took a big risk and called, I mean, everybody I could. I had, so far, we've had 45 people that responded, 45 global leaders that responded. I only put the first 17 in this book. We have others that will come out pretty soon. And they didn't say no. As a matter of fact, they were more mm-hmm. transparent than women who said that they were leaders but had nothing to leave from. And so what I'm saying mm-hmm. is in order to close that gap, that secretary has to get up. She's got to walk over to that door and knock on it. She's got to show more interest in the conversation. She doesn't have to leave at five. She can participate a little bit more. She can sit on the board a little bit more. And it's a matter of when we're visible, people start paying us more attention. Mm-hmm. So speaking up, communicating, um, talking to strangers, those you don't know, but you <laughs> see every day, you admire, they're in, you know, have those conversations. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else in terms of, so let me ask you, um, when you were writing your book, when you were mm-hmm. talking to these phenomenal women, what mm-hmm. surprised you the most? That they were so humble. I mean, I do know a lot mm-hmm. of high-level women, but because I didn't know them, going back to the same scenario, not to talk to strangers, <laughs> they were so humble, mm-hmm. so kind, so giving. Um, 
many of them were like, you know, can I come to your house? Can you come to mine? Um, whatever we had to do to make it work, you know, adjusting our time frames. It was 4 o'clock, 4 a.m. meetings, you know, things like that. I think the thing that surprised me the most was they wanted to share and they knew that this was going to be the only way that this was going to happen because many of them are are trying to get the message across. They're just not able to because there's just so much fear between them and the people they want to talk to. Because there's this huge perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've accomplished certain things, that you're a goody two-shoes or you're better than such and such. And so there's this huge disparity between women who uh, are at a certain level and women who feel like they're not. I've had that happen in my own life where people are like, well, you went to law school and you had this degree and effect degree. That doesn't mean anything. That just meant that I was academically gifted. That has nothing to do with the cost of tea in China. I still, I go to Walmart like you. <laughs> I still buy mm-hmm. like you. I'm human. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a parent like you. I'm moody. I, I, you know, I do all the same things you do. What makes you think that I'm better than anybody else because I may have, you know, seven or eight degrees, that doesn't mean anything. That's just a matter of something I committed to. But what does not, what shocked me the most was just how transparent, how open, and how giving. When I tell you, it gave me so much to, to go on and still continue today to support me and say, look, if these women still have problems, I will talk to them. Whatever I need to do to help out these ladies, I will do it. And that's what I'm so grateful for. And Carol, we're we are grateful to you uh, for um, bringing this kind of eye-opening information to us. Because you know, you telling us that these successful, dynamic uh, women leaders from all across the the world that you talk to, in, in mm-hmm. bottom line, wanted to share wanted to find ways to connect with other women and open doors and uh, be about um, doing things together and enabling uh, leadership uh, to make a difference. I just want to thank you so much for uh, sharing with us, uh, helping us understand the confidence factor and those things that we need to do to face obstacles and take us to uh, higher levels of opportunity. You shared some wonderful tips, and um, I love the, you know, we have the power and and we need to show up with it. And we thank you so much for it and for all the work that you do and have will continue to do. Thank you, and I thank you so and I, much. And I want to also make sure that um, we we say again about your your wonderful book that just came out about two weeks ago, The Confidence Factor for Women, Conversation with Women CEOs. Uh, just an exciteful, insightful read for, uh, for everyone. And if people want to continue the conversation with you or get in touch with you, uh, what's your website or contact information? Sure, they can always go to carolsankar.com, that's C-A-R-O-L-S-A-N-K-A-R.com, or theconfidencefactorforwomen.com. And everything about what we're doing, what we're about to do, um, including upcoming events, and everything will be right there on theconfidencefactorforwomen.com. 
Wonderful, wonderful. And just again, congratulations and thank you for everything thank you do. And thank all of you for joining us today uh, at the Dr. Geneva Speaks show. If you have comments or you want to share ideas about other leaders you'd like to hear from, visit my website at drgenevaspeaks.com or tweet me at Dr. Geneva Speaks or send me an email at drgenevaspeaks at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next show when we inspire great leaders for greater purpose.